Did you go there, Cheryl? <laughs> All right. We're going to continue through the book of Romans. We're in the seventh chapter. We're going to look at verses six and seven. I'm going to ask you to follow on, follow along on the overhead. And uh, let's see where the Lord takes us with this this morning. I'm going to try to do it slowly. I, I fully understand that this is a challenging topic here. We're talking about law and grace. And I know it's a challenging topic. I'm going to try to really spell it out for you. And hopefully it encourages you. So let's, let's read these verses. Verses, uh, I guess, 6 and 7. Be joined to another, to him, that's Christ, who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body <clears throat> to bear fruit for death. But now, we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be, or God forbid, as the King James puts it. On the contrary, I would not have come to no sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Now in our last time together, we looked at how we were made to die to the law so that we could be joined to Christ. And we learned that we are no longer bound to the law, so that relationship is now null and void. It's done away with because we are now married to Christ, who is the bridegroom. So we're going to review a little bit of verse 6 and then just jump right in. So look at slides 5 and 6. But now, we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Let's hear it. Let's look at this is how the NLT puts it. <clears throat> but now we have been released from the law, for we die to it and no longer are held captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, because we can't keep the law no matter what we do, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. But now, you've heard us say that before. Greek words are noony day. Actually, that word but is what we call the conjunction. What does that mean, Pastor Jack? Well, it has the idea of introducing something as contrasting to what's already been said. Something that's new and distinct. What is new and distinct? We have now been released from the law. You see that word up there, katarejo. What does that mean? It has the idea, church, of being discharged. So think of it this way. Just like a soldier who receives his honorable discharge papers and he's now no longer under the authority of the military. He's been released from that. He's been discharged from that. We've been released or discharged from the law. 
Paul says we've been discharged. We've been set free from the spiritual liabilities and penalties under God's law. Now, I want to consider what Paul tells the believers in Galatia. Look at slide 8 and 9. <clears throat> we covered this a bit last week, too. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Slide 9, the New Living says it this way. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. So Christ redeemed us. So that word redeemed, it's an important word. Exorazo, meaning to buy something back, to ransom. What did Jesus do? He purchased us from the curse of the law. Okay, so here's what we need to do. I just don't want to assume that we know what words mean. Think about what that means to you when you hear the word curse. And I don't mean profanity. I mean the word curse. What does that word mean? What, what does it convey here? I want to make sure that we really get into the thinking and mindset of what did Paul mean? Well, the word curse means to invoke evil upon someone. In, in Hebrew, the idea of this word curse denotes someone who is being you know, put to utter doom or destruction. So we can see that's a strong word. So <clears throat> we have this out from or under the curse of the law. Because Jesus becomes a curse for us, we were under that curse, <coughs> so Christ became a curse over us, and so between us and the overhanging curse, which should have fell upon all of us, it fell on him instead. So that curse that was supposed to be on us was placed on him, okay? He took it upon himself. That, I like that word, rescued us from that, that curse, that, that doom and destruction, because we can't keep the law. We just can't. So listen, here, 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 understand this. All of this is applied to your life when you come to a saving faith in Christ alone. Amen. That's it. Confess your sins to him and place your faith and trust in what he's accomplished, you're reading right out of the scripture what he accomplished. Now there's something else here that we want to make sure we don't miss. We need to point out here that freedom from the law's bondage in no way means freedom to continue to sin and practice what the law forbids. Look at slide 10 and 11. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The law was given to define sin, to bring out sin's real nature, and to show us the need for a Savior. So Paul is in no way giving believers a license to sin. In fact, just the opposite. Why? Church, hear me. We now have the freedom to do what is right and to live for God. Not for self, not for the world, but for God. And to bear fruit for God. Slide 11, I like how MacArthur explains it. MacArthur says this, Paul's point here is not, is not that a saved person is capable of doing what's right, but 
that a saved person will do what is right. question is, are we doing what is right? See, that's living out a response to your faith in Christ. Are you living out what's right? See, God, church, he releases the sinner from this bondage of the law so that that sinner can now serve, meaning that sinner who's redeemed can bear fruit for God. Remember, we, we looked at this in our last time together. I'm not going to go through all of it, but look at slide 12 and 13. Slide 12, we, we looked at this last time I preached. The fruit, the karpos, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me say that one again. Self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Again, that's the Spirit bearing the fruit through you, the sinner. That's the Spirit doing the work. Okay? Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We have to die every day to the flesh, church. I want to bring out another point here that I didn't cover last time. Slide 13. Look at verse 25 with me. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk, let us keep in step by or with the Spirit. Let me, let me unpack this for you. Stay on slide 13. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, meaning if the way you and I live out our lives daily is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This word walk here is not the word you've heard us say before, which would normally be the word parakireo, meaning your, your way of life. Here, this word walk, the word Greek word there, if you see it on the slide, is stoiko. This word walk means to keep in step with, to be in line with a person or thing considered as a standard for one's conduct. Well, what's the standard of my contact if the Holy Spirit is in me and the fruit's being birthed in me? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? So if we live, if we keep in step with the Spirit... See, Paul is exhorting us to keep in step and to be guided by the Holy Spirit. So then, this word that Paul is using here in the text, listen, here's what the word's not describing. It's not describing somebody who's just an employee or a hired worker, and that person can refuse to follow the boss's orders or just quit. No, church, this word here, stoiko, has the idea that the believer's sole purpose in his or her life is to completely keep in step with and obey the Master's orders, which is Christ. So Kenneth Wu says it like this, slide 14 and 15. We do not appropriate the control of the Spirit unless we desire Him to control us. A desire for His control will include other things, a desire that He causes us to judge sin in our lives. A desire that He puts sin out of our lives and keeps it out. Amen to that. A desire, church, look at this one, that He separate us from all the ties we might have with that system of evil called the world. A desire, slide 15, that, look at this, 
a desire that he dethrone our self-life and enthrone the Lord Jesus as the absolute Lord and Master. Is there some dethroning that still needs to be done in our life, church? A desire that he produce in us his own fruit, not my rotting fruit of my flesh. A desire that he makes us Christ-like. A desire that he leads us and teaches us. Such a desire is a serious thing, Hoost writes. It involves the crucifixion of self. Are we the stoichos? Are we walking in step with God the Holy Spirit so that we can bear fruit and that that fruit impacts the lives of the people he brings into our lives? Back in Romans 7, 6, slide 17, <clears throat> he says, So that we serve in newness of life, not in the oldness of the letter. Slide 18. The NLT says it this way. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. So that word serve is kind of like almost riveted to what is in Galatians 3 that we just read. That, that word there is the word dulio. See, that word serve there speaks of a person who was a slave and his sole purpose is to serve and obey his master. What an honorable thing to be called a slave of Christ. Newness. You learned that back in Romans 6 when I covered it. The kenotes. This, this, this fresh new quality of life bursting out of you because you are living with the fruit of the Spirit being birthed out of you because the God of the Holy Spirit is in you. A fresh new quality of life. Hey, is your life different since you came to faith in Christ? Is there a fresh new quality and purpose and meaning in your life? More than playing video games and Facebook for 18 hours a day. Oh, it's getting quiet now, Dr. Carter. Hear me this morning. Church, when God the Holy Spirit, who is a person, comes in and makes you alive in Christ, listen, you and I have a fresh new quality of life. We have a purpose. And that is whatever we eat, whatever we drink, we do all to the glory of God. We are also empowered to want to serve the Lord as a slave. Remember, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power given to you and I to walk in newness of life. But a Christian who bears no fruit at all is not a genuine Christian and sadly has no part in God's kingdom. Well, where does it say that, Pastor Jack? I'm so glad you asked. Let's look at slide 20 and 21. <clears throat> John 15, 1 and 2. Jesus says this. I am the true, meaning the unconcealed, genuine, real, not false vine. I am the true vine. My father, he's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does the Bible say the father does? He takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, the love, joy, peace, patience, temperance, he prunes it so that it can bear more fruit. That Holy Spirit has that great Ginsu knife to cut away those areas of our life that we need to surrender. And the NLT puts it this way in 20, slide 21. I am the true grapevine. 
My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Now, I want to take a moment and kind of like unpack this a little bit because it's very important. You can look at slide 22. Don't worry, the grief's up there for Dr. Carter. It's okay. Every branch in me, pan clema en emoi. What does Jesus mean when he says every branch in me? Well, that Greek word en that you see there, right before the word emoi, which is me, means to put in. It means to put in. So I want to make sure I read this. This is from John Stott, slide 23. A lot of people are like, what does it mean to be in Christ, Pastor Jack? Well, let me have Dr. Scott really explain it to you because I think it's one of the best explanations I've ever heard. He says this, To be in Christ does not mean to be inside Christ as tools are in a box or clothes in a closet. doesn't mean that. What does it mean? To be organically united to Christ as a limb is in the body or the branch is in the tree. It is this personal relationship with Christ that is the distinctive mark of his authentic followers. Do you see that, church? It doesn't mean that, like, clothes in a closet. There's this organic uniting to Christ, this intimate, intimate, personal, ongoing relationship with Christ. That is the mark of an authentic follower of Christ because he does not live or she does not live the way they used to live before they claimed they got saved. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Alethanos. What does that mean? True. That means something that is unconcealed. It's genuine. It's real. It's not false. He's not a counterfeit like the counterfeit we have in the world today. Consider slide 25, John 1, 9. There was the true, same word here in John 1, 9, <coughs> unconcealed, genuine, real, not false, light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He lights up his believers for a purpose. How can we tell if somebody really walks with the Lord? If we knew what that person's life was like before he says he came to Christ and what is different now, we can see that God lit him up for a purpose. That purpose was to bring glory and honor to Christ. Church, beware of the counterfeits. Listen to me this morning. Hear me. Beware of who you attach yourself to to be nourished. Where are you getting your nourishment? I hope it's not from Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I hope and pray it's not. I pray that you have such a hunger in your heart that you want to be in the Word of God. Remember, it was God the Father. Hear me this morning. It is God the Father who was the one who planted the vine, who was Christ himself. The Father is the vine dresser. What does that mean? The Father is the one who cares for, looks after, watches over the vine and the branches. He's the one that does the pruning. The text says the, the God the Father is the one that does the pruning. He's the one that takes away the ere ote. What does that mean? That, that, that word has the idea of 
to remove. And so he himself, Otto, he himself removes the branches that does not produce fruit. He's the one that does the pruning. He's the one that cuts away the branches that are not producing fruit. Here's one more point. There are unfruitful branches that did become loosely attached to the vine and did have some kind of relationship with him. Some even started to sprout a little bit. I want you to look at slide 27. Consider this point. They listened to Jesus' teachings. They made a profession of faith. Got baptized. Looked like fruit. Smelled like fruit. Acted like fruit. But they bore no fruit. Why? Here's the problem. They weren't drawing enough nourishment from the vine. I can tell you this. Show me somebody that's not in the Word where the Bible is like a coffee table book and then Saturday night they're getting the dust off their Bible so they can look all churchy on Sunday. Oh, here I am. You have to be getting fed and nourished by the Word. And I've said it a million times. God the Holy Spirit never works independently from the Word. Never. Okay? Somebody real, listen. These things I have written that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5.13 These things I have written that you may, Gnosis, you may assuredly know that you may have eternal life. If somebody is getting their nourishment from all the garbage in the world, the federal government and all the nonsense that's going on out there, they're in trouble. They're in trouble, church. They were counterfeits. What does he say? Every slide 28, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So this begs the question we need to ask ourselves, slide 29. Which are we, church? What did, what did, they, what did John say in 1 John 2, 19? John says, listen, hey, they went out from us, but, but they were really not of us. You see, if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they're not of us. Wow. Hear me this morning. The person who was justified by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, is secure, holy, free, and able to bear fruit. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the word of God is the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. There is nothing above the word of God. Absolutely nothing. If a church tries to tell you that, run. Listen. So, to sum all this, kind of bring this in. We are dead to the law as far as the demands and the condemnation is concerned. But because we now live in newness of spirit, we love and serve God's holy law with joy, and there's a desire to want to do His will. Listen, do you love Him? I want you to think really closely. These questions I'm going to ask you, they're not on the screen, you can stay there. Do you love Him? Is there, is there evidence in your life that shows other people that you're in love with Jesus? Is there evidence there? Do you love Him? And, and here, here, Church, is there joy in your heart because you have this intimate 
relationship with the very God that knit you in your mother's womb? Do you have joy in there? Do you have a desire to want to serve him, not to have people look at you and say, oh, look how great that person is, but you want to serve him so they see him living in and through you. You put him on full display. Look at verse 7 with me. What shall we say then? Slide 30 and 31. Is the law sin? May it never be. Or like I said, the King James says, God forbid. <clears throat> Paul says this. I would not have come to know sin, meaning I would not have come to recognize it except through the law. For I would have not known, understood the depths of intense desire about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. And then the NLT puts it this way. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. Now I want to give you a little background here. You know, Paul wrote this back pretty much towards the beginning of the New Testament, probably about 50, 60 years after it. He's writing about a young church that he wrote this letter to in Rome that he was longing to come see. Let me give you some background. Back in the New Testament times, the rabbis of those days, even before leading up to and in the New Testament times, these rabbis had put together some 613 or so commandments. And out of those 613 commandments from them, there were about 248 officially required mandates. You have to do this. See, these mandates covered everything from worship, temple sacrifices, vows, rituals, Sabbaths, what animals were to be used at the food festivals, war, social issues, legal rights, and other obligations, and so much more. So I want you to think about it. You can just imagine what it must have been like for the Jews of that day trying to keep all these laws and traditions so they could be saved. In fact, Peter kind of admonishes them in Acts 15.10. Look at slide 32. Peter addresses this legalism. He says this, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of his disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So now you can kind of see why the Jews struggled to keep the law because they wanted to be in God's favor and earn that salvation. And that's what Paul's talking about here. You can't earn it. You can't keep the law. So this begs the question, why in the world did God give his chosen people the law, which obviously was completely impossible to keep? Well, I like how MacArthur explains it, slide 33. John MacArthur says this. His purpose was not only to reveal the standard of righteousness by which the saved are to live, but also to show them, look at this, the impossibility of living it without His power and to show them the depths of their sinfulness when honestly measured against the law. So the purpose was to reveal the standards of righteousness. And listen, without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing, church. 
So Paul says, what then shall we say? Slide 34, ti un. Is the law sin, the namas hamatina? Is that law sin? See, Paul knew what they were thinking. Well, Paul, here's, here's I'm unpacking what kind of like was going through their minds. <clears throat> well, Paul, the only conclusion then that we can come to is this, that the law that was given to us by Moses must be something bad or evil. Pa Paul, the law must be bad. Something that harms us and not only leads us to death. Paul, Paul, listen, all the way back in Romans 2.12, you told us the law condemns men. In 2.29, Paul, you tell us the law and our rituals do not make us believers. You go and tell us in Romans 3.20, Paul, that the, that the law cannot make us right and acceptable to God. Then you go on and tell us that the law was not given to man to save him. Because that's exactly, if you remember back in chapter 4 and 5, that's what they were thinking. I'm a Jew. You know, I got the Ten Commandments. He gave it to our people, so therefore I'm okay. Paul actually, church, begins to unpack to them that the law is never to be held responsible for our failure to keep it and obey it. That's not something the law did wrong. That was not the purpose of it at all. Paul says, listen, is the law sin? He says, may it never be. May genitoi. May meaning absolute denial. Never. Genitoi. Genitoi means to cause it to be or to come into being. He's saying, listen. Do not ever let that thought come into your mind. Do not ever cause that thought to generate in your mind, that, that genitoy. Never. God forbid. He's saying, listen, let that be something that's unthinkable. He clearly sees that they have completely misunderstood what he's been trying to show them here. See, Paul in no way was trying to teach them that they don't know when they sin. People have a conscience and a general knowledge of sin. Look how he answers the question. Slide 36 and 37. Paul says, on the contrary. He says, listen, the law is good. He says, I would not have come to know sin, recognize it, except through the law. For I would not have known, understood the depths of the intense desire about coveting if the law did not say you should not cover it. Covet. And the New, New, New Living says it this way. It was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. So Paul now, church, he's beginning to explain the very opposite of their thinking. He says, on the contrary, I, I like how the ESV puts it. You see the ame, deim, namas. If it had not been for the law, I would not, slide 39, I would not have come to no sin, recognize it, or through the law. So how do we unpack this verse so we can more fully understand what Paul was really trying to get across of this young Roman church of that day? Now, he uses, we have the word know there. You basically see it twice. But it's actually two different Greek words that Paul uses there. That's why our English Bibles don't always do it justice. There's actually two different words there. And that helps to more fully bring out the understanding of what he's trying to teach is that that first word, no, the word agnon has the idea of comprehending or understanding the meaning of sin by the law. But the second word known, the word hedain, has the idea 
of this absolute knowledge as a result of experiencing it. You see, Paul says, listen, he would have never understood and felt it in the very depths of his being had he had not experienced the meaning of lust and the part it plays in his life. He says he would not have come to know. See, he wasn't aware of the full nature of sin until the law actually made it clear to him. He says, except through the law. Church, it is the law that gave Paul the correct biblical understanding of the meaning of sin. It is the law that gives a right understanding of the true nature of sin. So, to summarize it, what can we take away from this? I'm almost done. Slide 40. First, the law reveals to us that sin is in fact really exists. Now, I know you all being good, godly believers know the two different places the Ten Commandments are found in the Bible. And I'm sure you're all good, godly Christians and you know them all by heart. Very good, guys. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Very good. So proud of you guys. You know the law. You've read it. I am so proud of you. So what does the law do? The law, the namas, awakens a person to the truth and reality of sin. Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Right? Thou shalt not have any graven images. Right? So the law awakens a person to the true reality of sin. The law awakens a person to see that he or she is in fact a sinner. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. We inherited that sin nature from our parents. It shows a person that he or she does not always obey God's will. That's true of me. How about you? It shows that he cannot keep the law perfectly. And he is guilty of breaking the law. By the way, the Ten Commandments, we have them segues and verses. It wasn't written that way. If, if you covet, you're also a liar, a thief. You break one of them, you break the whole law. The law is not, you know, all we compartmentalize it. But if I break, if I worship idols, I'm a liar, a thief. All of the, it, That's the way the law was written. You know, we see the movie where he has it written down. It's not like one is this, two is this. It's the whole law. It's, it is a law. So keep that in mind. So he gives an illustration to slide 41. Paul says, I would not have known. I would not have understood the depths of this intense desire about coveting if the law had not said you should not covet. So what does the word covet mean? What does that mean? Slide 42. The epithumeo or epithumeis. That word epithumeo means a strong, strong desire, a very strong passion. Now that in of itself, where it is biblically used, is fine. Here, he's talking about coveting. So he's talking about a strong desire, passion. So as that word is used here in the original language, Church, please understand it as the idea of lusting after or longing after that which is forbidden. Okay? It is God will never put in a man to divorce his wife because he feels that he should be with somebody else. I know people don't like to hear that, but God will never do that. He will not say, you know what? I have feelings for so-and-so over here, but I'm married over here, so I'm going to divorce her. And back in Matthew, Jesus deals with it. It is not okay. Okay? So, lusting after that which is forbidden. That's what the word means. 
So E.T. Robertson, slide 43, says this. But all the same, the law is not itself sin, nor the cause of sin. Men with their sinful natures turn law into an occasion for sinful acts. You see, the law then reveals the fact that man has a sin nature and is actually aroused to do what is forbidden. You know, it's amazing when you tell somebody not to do something, especially kids, what do they do? They go and do it. You know, you're in bed by 9 o'clock, and then the 14-year-old, the window was up, and they sneak out of the house. They transgressed. They broke the law. The law the, the, it was clear. You're not to leave the house after 9 o'clock. But what does the kid do? He leaves the house. Right? So please understand, that's, that is kind of like what he's trying to get across to us here. Okay? How does it show up in our lives today? Slide 44. Wanting the things owned by our neighbors. It's coveting. You know, I'm entitled to it. Oh, so-and-so's got that $500,000 house, and they got that beautiful BMW that's at least an $80,000 car. I deserve that. I want that. So that's, that's coveting. Wanting what our neighbor, instead of being, hey, God, thank you for blessing my neighbor. Amen. Thank you for giving him that. Chasing for excitement or arousal, those things that are forbidden. Beware of what you let your eyes see. One of the biggest tragedies of our church today is pornography. Pornos, unlawful sexual behavior. Chasing for excitement and arousal of those things that are forbidden. There are places that Christians have no place in being involved with or being. Because we are to come out from among them. Be separate, saith the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean. He talks about the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh satisfying the pride of life, living selfishly. That is coveting, yearning after that which is forbidden. You want to honor God? Turn off your TV. Turn off your iPad. Turn off your gaming system. Spend some time on your knees. Here's one thing you got to understand. Someday we're going to drop dead. We're going to die. You know, I'll, I'll, ask, uh, I'll ask the question up here, you know, uh, if you were to stand before God, well, where does that come from, Pastor Jack? 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all, pasa, all appear at the judgment seat of Christ to give an accounting. We have to give an accounting, whether good or bad, of how we lived when we were here. So I'll ask questions to bypass the elect and go right for the conscience. Another thing. Have you ever told a lie? Yes or no? I have. How are you guys? What do we call a person that tells a lie? We call them a liar. All right. Have we ever taken something? doesn't matter if it's expensive or inexpensive that did not belong to us. What do we call a person that takes something that doesn't belong to us? A thief. Right? Ever use God's name as a cuss word? Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Ever have that, that jealousy or desire to have something somebody else has? So then, by our own admission, by our own admission, we are lying, thieving, stealing, blasphemers, and that's only three or four of them. So if God was to judge us on Judgment Day, would we be guilty or innocent? We would be guilty. But what did Jesus do? He comes into the courtroom as your advocate, and he says, Excuse me, Father, every filthy, rotten thing that so-and-so ever did, I'm going to pay for it. I will say, 
the very worst about me in my sinful behavior in life, the very worst about me was placed on Jesus. And the very best about Jesus was credited to me. That's what the Bible teaches. So that means when I stand before God on Judgment Day, it's not because I deserve it, because I deserve to burn in hell. It's because of Jesus paid it all. You want hope? There's your hope. Jesus paid it all. So the law will not save you. The law will not make you a Christian. The law is your tutor, right? The schoolmaster to teach you and educate you, and you should know your Ten Commandments, open up your Bible, put the iPad and the I, all the other stuff down to learn that and let that be your tutor. But the love, joy, peace, temperance, patience, all of those things, that's the fruit of the Spirit manifesting it in you so it is now outworking out of you. Amen. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads. I know I hit you with a lot. Amen. Try to keep the Greek to a minimum. Pray for me. If you sense the Holy Spirit this morning talking to you through His Word, and you know that you have things that you need to confess, the confession isn't for His benefit, it's for yours. He already knows everything you were going to do before He even knit you in your mother's womb. But 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, hamagaleo, say the same thing that God says about sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And it's a present active verb and continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to encourage you to confess your sins to the Lord and place your faith and trust in what Christ has accomplished for you on that cross. Your hope is not found in programs. It's not found in music. Your hope is found in a person and his name is Jesus Christ. That's your hope. That's your elpis. I want to encourage you this morning. You don't know if today's going to be your last day on earth. You could be hit by a car. And listen, it is appointed once for a person to die and then to judge. And please understand, there's no second chance. Once you stand before that bema seat, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, there's, you're, the only way that you're going to step into glory is because Jesus paid it all. Because you surrendered your life to him. You confess your sin to him. There's only two things you need to do is repent and believe. Listen, the thief on the cross, there's no record he ever attended a Bible study. The thief on the cross, there's no record that he understood any scripture. And the reason he's in paradise is because of repenting. Remember me when you go into your kingdom, Lord. Amen. Repent and believe. Boy, I can feel the Holy Spirit like an anvil falling right now. Some of you, God, God's, woo! I can feel the Holy Spirit tingling. Wow. Some of you, you need to be delivered today. You need to put away the foolish behavior, the drugs, the alcohol, the shacking up, sleeping with people you're not married with, Amen. doing things that dishonor the naos, the temple, your body. Amen. I want to encourage you. Now is the time for you to get right with God. Now is the time for you to place your faith and trust in what Christ has accomplished for you on that cross. Please, there's no second chance. Please do not leave here the same way. Surrender your whole life to Christ. I promise you this. You will have a life full of hope and joy as you connect with the vine and you become the branch. 
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you.